It's another Sunday night in comedy and festival season is full steam ahead. Tonight, we're catching up with the commander-in-chief of the world's biggest comedy festival, JFL, and a TV host all Canadians know and love, and a little later on, a comic out of NYC who's made the online world into his own mass audience. I'm Dean Young, and we're about to go Inside the Joke. Welcome to Inside Jokes on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to an all new Inside Jokes, baby, right here on 640 Toronto. And as always, streaming coast to coast, nationwide on the Global News Radio Network, brought to you, of course, by our good friends at Hakeem Optical, helping you spot audience members at Just for Laughs. How about that? It is festival season, JFL, the world's biggest comedy festival. The biggest event on the comedy calendar is back in full force, taking over the mean streets of Montreal this July. We have some of the creme de la creme in Canadian and American comedy on our panels all month long celebrating JFL. I, of course, have our producer, Vince Tedesco, on the line. How are you doing this week, buddy? Doing well. Gearing up for um, uh, Just for Laughs this year and Hakeem Optical helping you see the French street signs more clearly. You <laughs> can't understand them. Especially at 3 a.m. after those last shows and hanging out at the Hyatt Bar with uh, comedians. Uh, but yeah, Vince, I mean, this is always, you know, this is always the peak season for us. Festival time, we get some of our favorite guests on. We got some of the who's who in Canadian comedy. We have some of our favorite American comics, stand-ups from across the globe. Uh, tonight is no different. We have, first off, we have El Jefe, the Presidente himself of JFL, Mr. Bruce Hills, is joining us again. We're going to catch up with him because the festival was around last year, of course. It was a bit of a sort of scaled back version, kind of slowly coming back to live shows. It was sort of a, it, it was really leaning towards Canadian talent, which was nice to see. And they were still doing some of the digital stuff. But Vince, this year's festival, this is like the full-blown thing again. It's comics from all over the globe streaming in, major headliners, tapings, galas, workshops, panels. The whole thing is taking over Montreal again. This is back in full force after the last couple of years. Like nothing happened. <laughs> like nothing happened. So we're going to check in with Bruce Hills on what this year's fest looks like and how exciting that is to be back full force. Uh, and of course, we've got Canadian comedy icon Rick Mercer joining us on the panel tonight, which uh, he's never joined us on Inside Jokes yet. It took us almost seven seasons to get Rick, so I'm very excited about that. And then a little later on, to wrap things up nicely, we pivot over from JFL mode down to NYC, we're checking in with a comic who, uh, no stranger to the New York clubs, but also has built a pretty mass following for himself on TikTok and on the online platforms these last couple of years. Gianmarco Cerezi is joining us to wrap things up. It's a big panel tonight, Vince. Yeah. Let's do sure. it. We're talking JFL. We're going to check in with the commander in chief right now, right here on Inside Joe. I leave them in till they had it. Fall on tatted. What's the connection, Bill? You looking at it? It don't stop. I hit more licks than it takes to get to the center One, of a blow pop. And it's gonna Welcome back to Inside Jokes, baby, right here on 640 Toronto. And of course, coast to coast, Canada wide on the Global News Radio Network, which of course, Canada has the internet again. So we can do a radio show across the country. Rough week. It was a rough week. <laughs> it was a rough week. Let us never speak of that again. Uh, but of course, we are talking all month long. We're talking all things JFL. The world's biggest comedy festival is taking over the streets of Montreal. Full force. 
This July, it all comes back. We got live shows. We got galas, the whole thing, tapings, podcasts, some of the biggest talent in comedy from really across the globe is descending on the streets of Montreal. So it's so nice to see it back. And who better to check in with than El Presidente himself, the commander-in-chief of JFL, Bruce Hills is on the air. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you? We're great. I mean, so we have, I mean, you know, we, we check in with you once in a while. We've talked to you the last couple of years because, of course, Just for Laughs is not just this festival. This, of course, is the flagship. This is the big event on the comedy calendar. But, I mean, JFL is a full-time, year-round comedy brand. I mean, it's broadcasting, it's tapings, it's galas, it's multiple festivals. But for you, I mean, because we, of course, we were in JFL last year. It, it was sort of coming back post-pandemic and, and sort of bringing things back and working within what we could. But this year is really like this is the return to full force JFL where you know it sort of swallows up the entire city of Montreal comics stream in from all over Canada the U.S. the U.K. really from everywhere this is the full festival again here it is full uh full throttle JFL for our 40th anniversary which which is fantastic too I mean 40 40 years of again going from this Montreal sort of comedy street festival into a global brand in comedy and really for comics all over the planet basically the biggest event on the calendar each year in comedy. Absolutely. And uh, we're putting on our biggest yet um, as the timing uh, couldn't be better to get people out laughing safely. And uh, we're, you know, we're definitely have a keen eye on uh, all things COVID and making sure artists, audience, uh, uh, our technicians and staff are safe, but uh, listen, um, we're ready to go. That's the thing. I mean, so what sort of special things do you have planned to not just, I mean, it's, it's sort of a double header here because yes, you are coming back to this full festival mode. I mean, we checked in with you the last couple of years when you were doing, you know, JFL went into more digital formats. Uh, you did sort of a more localized version of the fest last year as well. Uh, but I mean, you're kind of celebrating coming back to doing the whole massive thing again and your 40th anniversary. So how much of sort of a different animal is the fest this year coming back from all that? Well, first and foremost, um, we had a lot of great stuff booked for 2020 that had to be pushed twice. Yeah. So we had a nice building block. We also had a Bill Burr date that had sold very, very well, just pushed two years. So, you know, we had a nice debate to work from. And then on top of it, we had so many artists that got their start here wanting to come back and, you know, missing Montreal and missing the community of comics that they get to hang out with here because, you know, as you know, you know, very well, this isn't just a big event for fans. It's for industry and it's for comics. The comics hang out. It's day camp for them, day camp for the industry. You know, they're going off to restaurants during the day. We organize ball hockey games, basketball, uh, you know, people that are fitter jogging around the beautiful city of Montreal. The people that aren't fit are getting up at noon or later and going to eat more poutine, you know? (laughs) Well, and that, I mean, you know, all the comics we talked to, that's exactly what they've been talking about lately is that this is really it's summer camp for comics. I mean, the one the beautiful thing that the audiences don't get to necessarily see is it's that backstage green room stuff where you see these comics from all over the map congregating on Montreal and just being around each other and watching each other's sets and bouncing material off of each other. And I think it's so important for comics to just be with other comics and just have that sort of industry togetherness, which I think after the last couple of years is particularly special right now for this 40th anniversary festival a hundred percent uh 
comics look forward to seeing each other. It's been well over two years and we're ready to roll. That's a beautiful thing. And I mean, you know, JFL, there's multiple fests. I mean, here in Toronto, we always had JFL 42. There's JFL Northwest. There's tapings everywhere. There's TV specials. There's radio broadcasts. The Montreal Festival, though, I mean, the flagship festival, that's really a special thing because you can't be in Montreal during JFL without knowing what's happening. It really swallows up the whole city. It's festive. It's a, it's a celebration. It's, it's comedy Mardi Gras is basically what it is, Bruce. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And, and I will say this, you know, uh, and uh, Vancouver this year, we were able to do our Vancouver event in, um, in May. And Toronto, what we've announced already, will be and is the biggest Toronto event we've ever done with way more to be announced. So uh, as much as Montreal is celebrating its 40th and it's everything you've said, and thank you for hyping it up so much, but, uh, uh, is that we got big plans for Toronto and Vancouver as well. And, uh, you know, we want all everyone to come to Montreal and, and party with us for the 40th. But, you know, at the end of the day, people living in Ontario, if you're closer to Toronto, We've got a heck of an event uh, uh, launched there on sale now with amazing artists. And we'll be back in February in the regular dates in Vancouver. Um, so that's something to keep in mind as well. Uh, I think Toronto is going to be, you know, you know, uh, as, as, as I hope, I would say two to three years, we'll be right in the same conversation with TIFF. And, uh, and like you described what it's like to be in Montreal so accurately, hopefully in the not too distant future, you'll be walking down the street in Toronto and won't be able to miss that JFL Toronto will be there. That's our goal. Well, and I mean, you know, especially marking the 40th anniversary this year, the industry has changed so much in the last couple of years. I mean, a lot of what we talk about lately is how it's really become more artist driven. I mean, comics don't necessarily, you know, you don't necessarily have to go the old school route of being a road dog or getting signed by one of the couple of clubs you can sort of build your own audience now or build your own tours or release your own albums. But the one thing that has never changed and not just for Canadian comics, but comics that we talk to all over the States is that just for laughs is always such a career point for comics. It's always such a career maker. If you get on homegrown in Canada or if you get on new faces and then you get invited to come back and do the festival, that's a huge thing for comics everywhere. And that that's really never changed. Having that just for laughs sort of stamp on your resume as a comic still means a lot for everybody. I think even even with the way the industry has shifted more towards the performer, JFL is still very much a career maker for comedians. Well, I, I appreciate that. And that is very much a priority for us because we know, you know, there are comics out there that can be independent and, and for all intents and purposes could have a wonderful career without ever coming to JFL. So we need to really up our game on not only doing what we do best, which is the discoverability aspect of the festival. So, you know, we took, as you know, the homegrown for Canada into new faces. We added international new faces this year. We added a couple of years ago, creators, new faces, unsigned. So comedians have no big representation can come to the festival, uh, you know, and, and um, you know, so as much discovery as possible also making sure we put on show the fact that Canada has the funniest people um, that's why new faces we changed the branding from um, homegrown to new faces because we felt yeah. you know let's get let's make it super clear to, to lure as much industry into that room for the Canadians not only Canadian industry but Hollywood and people from festivals that you know can book people all over the world so that's become very very important to me you know and to us 
And I mean, another thing you kind of touched on there is a lot of sort of the crowd favorite shows that have always been hot tickets at the fest have returned this year. Of course, Nasty Show was always a huge sellout show there. Uh, The Ethnic Show, which has now been rebranded and relaunched as Just for the Culture, doing it bigger than ever for the full return of the fest. 40 years. It's the perfect year to go. Bruce Hills, always a pleasure catching up with you and finding out what Just for Laughs is up to. But so excited to see this back in full force in Montreal this summer. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks again, and thanks for your energy. You're always awesome. Thanks, man. Hi, this is Rick Mercer. You're listening to Inside Jokes. Welcome back to Inside Jokes, right here on 640 Toronto, and of course, streaming coast to coast, Canada wide on the Global News Radio Network, brought to you as always by our good friends at Hakeem Optical helping you spot hecklers in the crowd since 1967. We are, of course, talking all things JFL. The return of the world's biggest comedy festival descends on the mean streets of Montreal this July. Thank you again to Bruce Hills, El Presidente of JFL, for filling us in on what's going on this year for the 40th anniversary and, of course, the return to the full thing after the last two years of comedy that we shall not mention but now next up on the show very excited for this in almost seven seasons of this show we have not had him on yet we have canadian comedy icon the one and only rick mercer joining us right now how are you hello i'm so happy to be here thank you so much i mean this is exciting you know we haven't chatted with you on this show before it's uh it's it's that's clearly an oversight Not for lack of trying. We always want to, but it's an interesting time to check in with you now because, of course, I mean, you know, this month, most of what we're talking about is, of course, the 40th anniversary of Just for Laughs and the return of this. It's such a landmark festival. It's such a calendar event for everybody in comedy every year. And, of course, coming back after the last couple of years and being able to do the whole thing in its proper full form, sort of bigger and better than ever. Uh, For you, I mean... When comics first start out, the first time they get JFL, that's always sort of a career launcher for them. For you, how special is it to make your return to this fest, not just where you are in your career, but just after the last couple of years of weirdness that we've had in live comedy and in, in the industry? Well, it's a huge thing for me. I played Just for Laughs uh, when This Hour is 22 Minutes hosted a gala, and I hosted galas. But it's only been in the last probably five or six years that I've decided... I wanted to be a stand-up because I was never a stand-up. I was a host. And um, I'm going to be there as a stand-up, having done the Just Flats Comedy Night in Canada tour with other brilliant stand-ups, Sophie Buttle, Ivan Decker, Mano Hosseini, Dave Mirhej. Um, to be on stage with them in a comedy showcase is amazing. Well, and that's the thing, too. I mean, our listeners and, you know, Canadian audiences and the people coming out to this fest, that's we know you as. We know you as a host. We know you as sort of, you were always the face in Canadian comedy of, punditry you were our political satirist you were always me that was always you i mean you were the one sort of pulling apart the you know social commentary and comparing us with the americans and just riffing on what was going on politically obviously right now it's it's sort of i mean this is maybe too much of a silver lining but it's so ripe for that right now there's so many things going on in the world there's such a cultural shift going on on both sides of the border there's sort of a lot to get into there and because that was always so much a part of your brand, but you always did it in a way that was approachable. You found the funny and everything. You didn't skew into the dark. Do you feel like there's a lot you want to sort of get into right now with this stuff? Or do you want to kind of it's avoid not that, it? No, no, no. It's not that I want to get into it because I, I, I appreciate what you're saying. But like when I went across the country, 
um, it was a clean show because yeah. I know my audience. My audience knew me from primetime television and I wanted people to be able to bring kids. I mean, not little kids, obviously, but but it was the, everyone was clean on the show. And uh, I talked about politics and I talked about, but sometimes things you talk about in Ontario, you never talk about in the West or vice versa. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's, you know, my, my stuff is unique. Like you go, you go on a, a on a stand a open mic night and you might have three or four people riffing on the same subject, like what it's like to have a kid or, you know, COVID or whatever. I'm the one talking about Lester B. Pearson. So it's, uh, it's a bit different. Well, and that's the thing too. I mean, that's always been our struggle in Canada, especially in Canadian comedy is that being able to talk about our own politics and our own culture and our own sort of societal happenings because we're so overshadowed by the States and so many Canadians don't pay attention to our own politics. Don't I pay always love doing culture. that. And on, yeah. on the Mercer Report, we created a universe where they didn't exist. We knew they did, but it didn't yeah. matter what happened. We were never talking about, um, you know, whatever housewives of Los Angeles. We didn't talk about what was happening in, in pop culture in the United States at all. We didn't even reference them. We just said it doesn't exist. I'm not saying everyone can function that way, but in the universe of RMR, that's that's what we did. We only talked about Canada. And you were doing that when realistically nobody else was doing that. You were putting it on network television for Canadians and people were responding to that because nobody else was really, it, it wasn't quote unquote cool to talk about Canadian politics and Canadian culture. Yeah, but it and meant I had a clear protocol. lane. Yeah. I had a clear lane. It was fantastic. <laughs> well, you also sort of, you know, in Canada and especially on this show, we've always over the years talked about how, oh, we don't have a star system and why don't we have a late show in Canada and all this stuff. You were the comic that did really sort of fill that role for us in a lot of ways. We didn't have a traditional late show. We didn't have our own, you know, yeah. couch and desk and house band and all that. Well, for a couple of years we did, but for the most part, that was sort of your gig in a lot of ways. That's sort of what you it, represented. It, it, it was, but I would talk to just regular folks because <clears throat> the problem with having a late night show is our entertainment industry as fantastic as it is and goes through ups and downs. It's never really been big enough to have five nights a week of a late night show. Yeah. Um, we just don't have the inventory to fill that many guest spots uh, in Quebec, they do because they view their culture differently. And and you know you can have a TV show where you interview a university professor, followed by a comedian, followed by a film director that everyone actually loves. Uh, English Canada has never ever had that, and I don't know if it could work. It is true. I mean, because Quebec, that's such a cultural thing where you know they have their own trade papers and they go watch films made in Quebec and they have their own stars. Sure, it's, a, it's a different animal, yeah. It very much is. For, do you think things have changed in Canadian comedy in that way, though? Because we were always so concerned with, you know, not being overshadowed by the U.S. And a lot of comics here just used it as a launch pad. It's always like, OK, I'm going to get the major festivals, a couple of TV credits, get my visa and go. The last couple which of years. Which is fine. Which, which is, is fine. Entirely fine because it yeah. is the biggest, biggest English language entertainment industry in the world. So if you are a young comic and your goal is world domination, um, then you should absolutely go, absolutely go there. Like I was lucky, I, I got work doing what I wanted to do. But had I not had those opportunities, I probably would have given it a shot as well. I don't blame anyone for doing that. Same as if you're, if, you know, if you're in a rock band, you want yeah. to dominate the world. That's what you want to do. Well, and I mean, that's, we were talking to Ron James about that a couple of weeks ago, the same thing. It's like, you know, 
he made the move to LA and did that for a couple of years and just figured out, okay, you know what? I'm, it's going to work better for me if I stay at home and sort of pound the pavement and build my own thing. And I mean, sure. really, there's only a couple of comics in this country such as yourselves that actually were able to do that. But do you think that has shifted a little bit because the last couple of years, everything has become more about a global audience. Things have moved online more. It feels a little more like geography matters less. And along with that, sort of it feels like came a new appreciation from Canadian audiences for Canadian comedy. It feels like we're actually paying attention to what's going on here a little bit more now. I think so. And like, you know, I'm the last guy, because I'm an old guy, I'm the last guy to be talking about where comedy is right now, because so much of it is online. But, uh, and I'm following so much of it online that I love. Um, and I see that they're Canadian, but they have a global audience. Um, it's very, very exciting. I don't know what would have happened if I was 19 years old now. It would be very interesting. But, you know, comedy is universal. And if what I was doing when I was 18, 19 was writing stuff about, uh, um, you know, growing up in Newfoundland. But I still think that's funny no matter where you live. It's like, you know, the the Irish show, The Dairy Girls is, is so funny. and uh, you can barely understand it. It's so thick and Irish, but it's uh, it's a hit all over the world, you know. So so it's exciting that way. Uh, like you say, geography means less, but also you can delve deep into your own personal experience and uh, find a universal universal audience. Well, in Canadian comedy, also was always very sort of regional. I mean, a lot of our comics, you know, that became famous stateside, they sort of always came out of the club scene in Ottawa which is kind of funny because you know people look at that as sort of a stuffy bureaucratic town but so many of our great comics came up through there for you though I mean what is it about the Maritimes that bred so much comedy I mean all the great political writing that came out of there and this hour came out of there Codco came out of there what is it about just the pace of life there that was such a comedy forge why what, what do you I think I don't know I don't know I do know uh, much the same way that people say so many Canadians have had success in the States because they feel they inherently understand America, but yet they're not American. Um, maybe the same could be said for growing up in a place like Newfoundland, um, that you were part of the country, but um, you just felt a little bit removed because you were the, the last last crowd in, you were living on an island in the in the middle of Oh my gosh, there's some sort of animal has just walked into my shed. I think it's a weasel. Sorry for that. That was a distraction. I haven't seen that before. I have a weasel in my shed. Okay. That's that's the most Canadian thing we can hear you say, I think, actually. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure. A weasel or a possum? It'd be a possum. I don't think we have possums. It was, it was a long thing with a white belly. Good God. Sorry we have Rick. That. Rick Mercer in a wildlife over to Rick Shed ASAP. I'm going to be Google imaging weasels in a minute. It is kind of funny though, because you know, for comics that came out of Newfoundland and came out of the Maritimes, there was you know a lot of them have talked about that how there it was sort of you felt this sort of isolation in a way from the rest of Canada, and you're watching all this culture just come in, and you're being exposed to things through a TV set or through the radio, and you just sort of found your own voice into the outside world as a comic in a way. I think so. I think everything felt like everything on television just felt like it was in some magic place that didn't have anything to do with us. Yeah. You know, <laughs> whether that was Toronto or California, it was like, oh, you know, that's not like here. Fair enough. So, Rick, I mean, you're talking about how you're going to JFL this year. You get you're going and doing stand up because, again, a lot of our audience, audience, of course, knows you as as Canada's 
pundit, as a host, as a political writer, as a comedian, you sort of have always spun all of these different plates at the same time. And you were, you were doing that before a lot of other people were, is all that stuff sort of part and parcel to one whole thing for you? Do you see your career sort of <clears throat> changing yet again, or is it sort of all part of one? one well, it's changed recently thing. with the standup, right? Like that wasn't something I, I took seriously. I dabbled as a host. You do like a little bit of standup, but to go out like the last tour and go out and do 25 minutes off the top and then 20 in the second act, I mean, that's that's true stand-up. And that was something I didn't do for the first 45 years of my career. And I would like to evolve into writing more. And, um, you know, I'm fortunate I can kind of um, uh, explore that. But uh, yeah, ever since we were kids and doing comedy, I thought we would have to wear all sorts of hats and do all sorts of different things. And, uh, yeah, that's that's what's exciting about it, especially now with the advent, like the, the technology now, fact that I could broadcast from my shed, fact that, you know, young people can make sketches and put them on Instagram, it's TikTok. It's exciting. It really is. And it definitely has changed the face of comedy. And again, Canada was always built on sort of a hundred kilometers at a time, going from town to town, being a road dog. And all of that has changed. It really does feel like it's sort of blown wide open and become more accessible. And there's so many new platforms now. Uh, Rick Mercer, pleasure to finally have you on. I know it Thank took you so much. Up. Took us seven seasons of radio. We had Rick Mercer and uh, a possum or something on the air. Uh, but so indeterminate. I don't know what it was. <laughs> so so glad to check in with you. Though, and uh, we're glad to see that you'll be at. Uh, it's it's kind of a special JFL this year with the 40th anniversary and just you know coming back from the last two years of whatever the heck that was. So thank you so much for joining us today, Rick. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Hi, I'm Lisa Traeger, and you're listening to Inside Jokes. Welcome back to Inside Jokes. I'm Vince Tedesco, taking over the back half of this episode. And with me right now, we're taking a bit of a break from Just for Laughs. Uh, we've been kind of swarmed the last few weeks with a lot of... Uh, a lot of artists, and then obviously uh, this week with uh, with Bruce Hills and and uh, Rick Mercer. But now uh, we're going down to a mecca of stand-up comedy, New York City, as they call it, the city that never sleeps, the place to be. But if you're a stand-up comic, there is no other city to thrive in than New York City. With me right now is one of those comics who is a Hustler, he's a crowd killer down there. I've seen him online. I don't know if he's more famous online or in the clubs, but he's making an impact. Give it up, Mr. Jean-Marco Cerezi. How are we doing? I'm definitely more famous online. I'll tell you that. It's uh, it's TikTok. And unfortunately, though, that fan base is not old enough to get into comedy clubs <laughs> in New York City. So I'm going to have to start touring daycares if I want to sell more tickets. Well, that's where I kind of wanted to start with you because, yes, I found you on TikTok. I found you on Instagram. You pop up on my feeds every once in a while. How has that experience been as like that guy that they know from TikTok? Man, it's such a it's a it's a it's a it's a mixed blessing. First of all, it's good. People get to see me. I got to do comedy during the pandemic. That's why I started TikTok. I just had all these jokes and I, I kind of have some one-liners. So I was like, I got to do something with my time. Um, 
it's it can be weird because you get some fans who have seen some of my jokes in like a different form and once in a while once in a while you'll see an audience member whisper to their friend oh he's gonna say this and i'm like son of a bitch. we are all we are we are we are all dealing with a new world of like not really burning material and figure and navigating what you put out there what you keep back uh constantly pumping out content without letting the quality slip a lot of comics we're watching some of the great comics of my generation quality just gradually slip we used to have to put out one new hour every five years now it's a new hour every week well yeah i mean like that's kind of an ongoing uh debate or or topic i guess we have with a lot of the comics a lot of the traditionalists the stand-ups that come on this show i mean uh Leading into this episode, I mean, we, I guess we, we were flooded with a lot of Just for Laughs, so we've interviewed a lot of comics that are actually going to be at the festival. But they've said the exact same thing as you. A lot of U.S.-based comics, and as many Canadian-based comics as well, but, I mean, the U.S., we are very Americanized here in Toronto. Our entertainment value is very Americanized, so we kind of peek over the fence and see what's happening down in the states but it it is that struggle of how much do i want to burn online how much do i want to put out there because if i give so much away for free who's paying to see me in a club sure but let me but let me but let me count to you there it's not free this is the thing at least this year my uh uh income I would say, I haven't done the math, I would bet you it's 80% from social media. My bosses are Mark Zuckerberg and whoever runs TikTok, uh, uh, the president of China. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a wild, um, you know, there's inflation going on everywhere in America. I'll tell you what's not, prices are not changing is what I get paid to headline. So really? I, I mean, the, the money is for the touring is brutal. Sometimes it's good. Yeah. And sometimes it's just god awful. So I'm supplementing my income with this social media, and all these companies uh, uh, have incentivized creators. And and first, if you get in right in the beginning, the money can be really good, and then it slows, and then it slows, and then it slows, and then one day it disappears, or one day, God forbid, I've been kicked off TikTok before, removed forever, uh, <laughs> until I, I've met someone who knew someone who knew someone who got me reinstated, which is not a good system at all. But uh, uh, that's so. So the thing is, it's not for free anymore. It really is like my income stream is like twenty different places right now. And touring until I get to a much different level, touring is like I'm I'm breaking even to making you know a grand on a on a good weekend. Well, that's the thing. See, you are in an age. You're a part of this sort of generation that can adapt to that because the older comics, or the veterans, if you will, once they get to know a system. Or once they get to know a social media platform, essentially, a new one comes out, and they're kind of stuck. Sure. With, how do I how do I make a living online? Because they're very set in their ways. So you obviously have a benefit of learning a new platform like TikTok, killing it on Instagram. But you're also a touring comic that's on the road. I mean, you're coming to Toronto next week, so yeah. I mean, you're, you're making hayway across this land, across the nation, and into our nation as well. It's listen, back in the day, it would be you would go on this night show with Johnny Carson and then you could tour and yeah. sell out places. You could be on the tonight show now and it would move two tickets in Buffalo, New York. Maybe <laughs> you 
have to have so many different ways to build up a fan base. And of course, I have the dream. I get the TV thing, whatever. Everything falls into place. But right now, it's a gradual climb with the social media. And that's why I could go to Toronto. You know, I'm doing like a small, it's 50 seats, it's four shows. The reason I did it is because I had enough people on Instagram writing, come to Toronto, come to Toronto. And I'm counting and I'm like, okay, 30, 40. And now I get to write them back and be like, all right, you sons of I'm coming. You better buy that ticket right now. So so that's the name of the game. And I, I feel if I wasn't a stand-up comedian, I honestly, I feel like some of these older comedians that are hesitant to get into these systems, they really could clean up because they have hours of old material. They just need to hire some young buck to cut it up, caption it, and they're set. They they are they are missing out on a gold rush. Well, that's that's the struggle, I guess, that, 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 that is stand-up comedy. So we mentioned you are coming to Toronto. Shows July 22nd and 23rd. Uh, have you ever been? You ever been to the city? Uh, I, I did a show... Um, uh, uh, in Toronto, it was with my sketch team. It was, I think, the Toronto Comedy Festival. I was very early in stand-up. I did one spot at uh, the Absolute Comedy Club there. Okay. And I, I really loved, I had a bit, it's not going to be funny as I break it down like dissecting a frog, but it was that I started saying, so last night I was getting dinner at CVS, which was a setup, but it would get a laugh in America because CVS is a is a is not a place you want to be <clears throat> getting dinner at. So yeah, I asked the, the low end shoppers drug mart friend. Well, exactly. <laughs> so I was in the car on the way to Absolute. I asked the comic, "What's your CVS?" They said shoppers. Yeah. I didn't know what shoppers was, but I trusted him. I was on stage at Absolute. I started. I said, "So last night I was getting dinner at Shoppers, and I got a laugh." And hey. it's very funny because I didn't really know what I was saying. You know what I mean? It means nothing to me, but you it was very feeling. cool. It was very cool. Whenever you travel, you're like, okay, so what's what's your CVS? Do you guys know what Axe Body Spray is? You start questioning everything. You're like, do you have lunch here? Is lunch a big thing in the middle of the day? Do you eat food? So I'm learning. I'm figuring out all this stuff before I come. That's awesome. He is John Marco Cerezzi out of New York. He's coming to Toronto, like I said, July 22nd, 23rd. Stick around. More with John Marco when we come back. I'm Vince Tedesco. This is Inside Jokes, 640 Toronto. Shalom. This is John Marco Cerezi, and you are listening to Inside Jokes. I'm back, back in the New York groove. I'm back, back in the New York groove. Welcome back to Inside Jokes. I'm Vince Tedesco, sitting with us right now on the line, John Marco Cerezi at a NYC, who's coming to YYZ, coming to Toronto, July 22nd, 23rd at the Royal Comedy Theater, get your tickets. He's got four shows, two on the Friday, two on the Saturday. But as we were discussing from New York, Jean-Marco, what is it like there? What are the clubs like? Is everything back in full swing? It was a massive burden this last two years. I don't want to bring up that word again, but I mean. I know, I know. It, it was crazy. I'm so what's, the what's the stand-up scene like? From what I see online, I mean, it's looking like it's flourishing. <laughs> it's back. I mean, we are we are pushing it. I don't think any people are like pushing their luck. We're we're using public transportation. We're sharing hummus with strangers. We're making out. <laughs> we are packing in these clubs. It is. I mean, for better or probably for worse, we have we have moved on. We had you know for a while we had a. Uh, 
we had a lot of the you had to be vaccinated to get in everywhere right. um and and so some of my comic friends faded away you know i had one friend he was he was so anti-vaccine i had to stop speaking to him because he died but uh it, it's a joke don't worry it's not a joke actually but it is in a joke structure and uh uh now that's gone too i can't tell you the number of people who wrote me and they go Oh, hey, the vaccine mandate got lifted. I'm so excited to finally see you. And I go, oh, no, please. <laughs> why, <laughs> why, why? And I have to decide, well, what do I want? One uh, uh, COVID or one less audience member? And uh, that's that's the moral conundrum every comedian faces these days. Now, we've discussed before, claim to fame has kind of been social media. And you're all over social media. Do you know the difference or, or, or can, you, can your brain tell the difference of you bombing on a stage versus bombing on social media? Does, does it translate the same? Or we can flip that from you killing on stage to you killing on. So obviously it's the likes, it's the comments, it's the share. Sure, sure. And in a, in a live spectrum in a club, it's the laughter, it's the cheers, it's the standing ovation. But on TikTok or on Instagram, how do you regulate the two? I listen, it's 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 a constant challenge. Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, even between the apps. It's yeah. like performing in different parts of the country. Different things work different places. I always think a well-written joke will survive uh, across all mediums. But you know, charisma works in the clubs, doesn't always work on social media. It, yeah. it is a different beast. And uh I you know, I I, I, I like being live is better. I know people who are like online, they go, oh my God, am I getting shadow banned? No one's liking my videos. No one's no one's liking my stuff. And then I'm like, really? Do you think you're getting shadow banned? Or are you also getting shadow banned on stage? Because you seem to be bombing there too. But at least on stage, you can go, oh, okay. I know this is not working. On social media, it's a mystery. It's behind a wall, an algorithm. Yeah. Something works here, it doesn't work there. You have no idea why. So when you're like in person, at least you feel like things feel more real. You understand what's happening. So I'll always prefer live. And then once I fine tune it live, I'll, I'll toss it on TikTok. Now, as a fan of your comedy, which I, I openly admit, I, I love your stuff. I think you're great. I have this theory and it's, it's, it seems to have worked, at least in these three examples, it will, uh, that essentially every comic strives for that one bit that goes viral. If, sure. if you can get that one bit that goes viral, that kind of can make you. For us back here, back home, we had Russell Peters with somebody going to get hurt real bad. Uh, I know uh, it was Angela Johnson that had the, the nail salon bit. That took off for her. Yes. You know, my boyfriend. Oh, my God. That was hilarious. And then even more so in the last few years, I mean, with Sebastian Maniscalco, with the people coming over to your house company. One of the best. You, one of the, best. the one bit that I always see that's so <laughs> prevalent right now is your R. Kelly bit. I'm telling you, man, you nailed it because... You have this sense of humor and, and, and it's in, it's in your style where you're talking and you're, you're, you're one with the audience. Everybody's along for the ride. And then the punchline comes out of nowhere and just slaps you upside the head. And it's, it's, it's something of your comedy that I absolutely loves. So, I mean, have you seen that bit get more and more popular? I appreciate first. I appreciate calling it the R. Kelly joke and not the pedophilia joke. Well, which okay. is what it is. it's yeah. relevant now because he didn't go to jail for 30 years. No, I know. Yeah. Every time he's in the news, I repost that thing. I'm like, there we go. Let's ride that wave. Um, uh, you know what? It's so funny because it went so viral that I was like, well, I can't tell it anymore on stage. Everyone knows it. But everyone after the show goes, oh, I was wishing you could tell the R. Kelly joke. And I'm like, OK, I guess that's the thing you want to see. I'll start throwing it in there at the end. And listen, once R. Kelly's out of the news, 
I'm sure. If there's one thing we can be sure of, it's another famous person will be discovered to be a pedophile. And I can use it once again for an, for an updated version of the bit. You're awesome, buddy. I love you. He is Jean-Marco Cerezi. He will be in Toronto July 22nd, 23rd, four shows at the Royal Comedy Theater on Bloor Street. Click it, Google it, whatever, find out where it is. Check out uh, Jean, uh, Jean-Marco. Give us your handles, all your socials. Yeah, find me everywhere. I'm at... Yeah, at John Marco Cerezi. That's with a G, John Marco Cerezi. And my podcast is The Downside. That's right, Joseph, a podcast, The Downside. Uh, but he's in Toronto, like I said, July 22nd, 23rd. Get your tickets. John Marco, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, thank you. And, uh, hopefully, we'll see each other soon enough. That'll be great. That is our show. JFL is back for 40 years, taking over Montreal this summer. Thank you again to Bruce Hills. Thank you to the one and only Rick Mercer and, of course, down in NYC, Gianmarco Cerezi. That is our show, but don't forget you can tune in to all of our episodes right back to the very beginning on Global News Online. We'll be back next week. This week's Comedy Rx is Gianmarco Cerezi. I have a girlfriend right now. Um, thank you, thank you. Neither of us has very good taste in music. So whenever we're about to make love, I put on a random Spotify playlist. And... Uh, uh, a couple months ago, I put on an R&B playlist. I, I, I was feeling ambitious. And, and R. Kelly came on. Yes. You've heard the news? <laughs> and and my, my, my girlfriend was like, oh, no, we cannot listen to R. Kelly. R. Kelly is a pedophile. And now here's the thing. And just, just hear me out for one second. Technically speaking, technically speaking, R. Kelly is not a pedophile. Just give me one second. I promise this goes away. Just hear me out. The, 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 the term pedophile refers to people who are attracted to those that are prepubescent. Then there's something called a hebophile. That's people who are attracted to those in the early stages of puberty, like 11, 12, 13, 14. And then there's something called an ephebophile. That's people who are attracted to those in the later stages of puberty, like 15, 16, 17, 18. But I think the reason we don't make those distinctions is because it's very hard to explain the difference without sounding like a pedophile. <laughs> <laughs>